Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Welcome back to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. I'm Shanae Trudeau here with Bhavani Maki for another episode. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or the podcast application of your choice. Positive written reviews mean so much to podcasters. Out of hundreds, if not thousands of choices, we thank you for selecting to listen to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. Bhavani, it's an honor and a joy to be with you today. Thank you. Um, I have to say the word episode hit me in another way today. <laughs> Life's episodes. I'm having an episode. <laughs> yeah. Here we are again for another one. <laughs> yes. So I was reflecting that since meeting you and especially studying Patanjali's Yoga Sutra with you from your teachers and the way you've learned them, I've really gotten a deeper and broader clarity into the many facets of yoga beyond just the physical body. And I'm wondering if you could breathe some life into the embers of your understanding of yoga beyond the performance or postural aspect of the asana and how we might retrain our assumptions and our thinking around yoga as solely a physical exercise. Such a fascinating journey. And, you know, our, our understanding is going to deepen through experience. Life experience is ultimately the ultimate experience of yoga. 
And when we, yes, we have the rituals and the practices of yoga, which help us to work with our inner field. Um, but really yoga means union of opposites. And the idea of opposites is just that. The reality is <clears throat> the wholeness. And the wholeness is so big that we can only perceive pieces of it at a time. And there's there's something... You know, again, we just have to watch the the dualistic nature of the mind because it understands through reductionist thinking and compartmentalizing. And, you know, Patanjali says our ultimate discernment is to realize the nature of nature, which is the power of transformation. And there's the raw stuff of nature which is ultimately quite sim uh, simple. We discussed that yesterday in the sutra class, the gunas, which are the gluons, which bind protonic, neutronic, electronic energies together. But the reality is the, um, the magnetism, the, we can think of magnetism or gravity as being the consciousness which keeps everything that appears to be in flux, it's, it's, it's vitality. So there's a vitality behind it, which allows for what we know as expansion or contraction or folding in on itself and unfolding out of itself. So we do the rituals of yoga to explore our internal field and how so much of what we're experiencing <clears throat> It's through the lens that we've inherited, you know, our own family folklore. Then if we go into the metaphysics and we might explore, you know, yoga as an indigenous tradition, the stories and the lore that are woven within them, we'll notice that there's certain motifs that are repeating within all cultures and how as much as it is a science and a logical process, it's really about expanding our capacity for capacity, our capacity for compassion for ourselves, our ideals that we hold for ourselves and our ideals can uplift us. And at the same time, we have this way of turning them inside onto ourselves where we create a bar or a standard that is unrealistic. So much of our um, success-oriented psychology of our careerism is this idea that there's a point of arrival. And I love that David White poem um, that I shared. I've shared it many times about, you know, being close, right? And Patanjali says, Tivra samvigana masanaha. I think it's Sutra 121. For those who are deeply interested, for those whose longing is deep and that sense of, I know something's missing, therefore it must be here. And rather than being um, searching and grasping and trying to find it, um, we discover ourselves in that process. So everything in nature, including our mind, including our conscience, Patanjali says is a form of nature. So it's always in flux, but we use 
the world experience to awaken our experience of self, which is not finite or limited. It's sapaguna, which is the power for revelation. And even our ideas of being in bondage or in being in freedom are simply that, they're ideas. And so we may go, oh, when I can do this or I can get free of this, it's going to be all good. But then our needs change and the environment changes. So the rituals of yoga help us to explore that inner field, to shake the dust off of rajas, where, um, you know, the lens that we've inherited the values that have been um, lauded as being, you know, our goals. We get to reevaluate that and come into the experience, come into the experience. And then the experience is one of peeling us back, peeling us back. So even the process of learning, which is so important, yeah, we're going to learn important things, which are going to help us to kind of get unstuck in our ideas, in our philosophies, in our epistemology, to look at things from a different angle, to consider things from a different angle. And so even the learning process isn't so much, yes, it's important that we we have understanding and we have rational thought, but then the ultimate evolution of our understanding is through intuition. We can't have pure intuition until we get clear of the, the colors of the lenses that we put on things. And so much of that is inherited. So what we discover in our process of learning and our process, you know, and we're going to hit a wall, life's going to back us into a corner is the, power of sattva, which is self-revelatory, discovering ourselves, and where purusha, which is our essence, it understands through neti neti, okay, I don't know who I am, but I know it's not this and not that. Our experience in the world of prakriti with nature is itty itty oh yeah it's some of this and it's some of that and as soon as we see it we want to hold it and then it just dissolves in our hands or explodes or um you know melts away so there's nothing we can really hang on to so you know yoga invites us to see where we create a split the ideas of who we think we should be the ideas of who we think we shouldn't be. And if we can look in hindsight, we're going to see that we've gone through some radical shifts in ourselves. I know when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a country singer and an opera singer, you know? <laughs> Here I am <laughs> chanting sutras, right? But but that, you know, we're evolving in our expression as well. So it really brings us back into this moment. And can we, you know, in, in yoga, this place of samadhi, which is reclaiming our wholeness, 
when we look at it, for instance, Mercia Eliad, you know, he speaks of it as this yoga and shamanism as the technology of ecstasy. So already we hear ecstasy. There's all kind of imprints that come up in our mind, um, you know, being in this ecstatic place of this place of unbridled joy of, you know, happiness and all of that. But really when we look at it and he used the word ecstasy, it's where you're standing in your experience in a more intensified way where you're losing your sense of self. It takes a lot of courage to do that because there's such a, such an emphasis on building up who we are and that need to have that reflection mirrored back to us, which is a healthy, normal reflection. We, we all in, you know, as pack animals and as, as social creatures, we don't want to feel like we're the bottom feeders in society that we're dragging society down. And we also have this seed within us, which is like, I've got something unique to share. And if it isn't, if it isn't recognized by everybody, am I really living my potential? So these tensions, rather than creating a split with them, seeing that it's revealing the part of ourself that again is sattva, self-revelatory, <clears throat> self-liberating from the concepts, the constructs, that we have, um, you know, there's residue on us as, as samskara, to um, rajas, which is this, this place of potent vibratory resonance, and to tamas, which is self-grounding. So how do we deal with these inner tensions and these outer tensions? Really, yoga is life. Yoga is life. And we do the rituals of practice to help us to engage with life because this human birth is so precious. When we look at the lore of yoga, you know, the stories, it's only in human incarnation that we can find that sense of freedom. So, you know, if we're looking at Hindu lore, which yoga isn't limited to Hindu lore, but Hinduism came out of yoga, we can see where these, these beings who, you know, free themselves up of certain karmas they go into some kind of a devic realm, into a, you know, an astral plane or loka or reality, you know, let's hold it loosely. And they have their tenure there, and then they need to come back into human form to liberate themselves again. It's so challenging because we just want the answer. We just want the answer and that sense of security. And really, there is no security in this world other than to see our nature of resilience, that we get to be authentic to ourselves. And then we go, oh, my God, well, what's authentic to myself? And so my latest mantra has been, you know, we, we observed this couple of sutra classes ago. As soon as we try to understand ourselves or even understand our mind, we're objectifying ourselves. It's really 
you know, so the mantra for me is like, I'm doing a great job at being myself. <laughs> Love it. And, and it's not always comfortable, but this too will pass. This too will pass. So I, I've been referring to this book. It's a lovely children's rendition of um, Tolstoy's writings. And it's called The Three Questions. And it's a little boy and he's kind of going on to a, an adventure in, through life, Nicola. And he his questions are, when is the best times to do things? Who is the most important one? And what is the right thing to do? So as he's, you know, wandering through the forest, there's a crisis that occurs um, you know, he really wants to just take time for himself to ponder these questions, but the situation arises where he needs to help somebody who's in more trouble than he is. And, you know, at the end of the story where he's helping this panda retrieve her little injured baby panda in a snowstorm, the master who he's speaking to says, remember then that there is only one important time, and that time is now. What sutra does that remind you of? The ah, first one. Yeah. yeah. And I think of what, um, you know, Dennis Mendoza, the counselor, said, which is, what's it too late for? What's it too soon for? What is it the time for? You know, that that is such a grounding thing. It's a way of self-grounding, self-revelatory, of coming back into resonance with what's happening right here, right now. The most important one is always the one you are with. So yoga as communion. This moment isn't going to arise again. And that there is the reflection of sacredness, of divinity that's here in the moment and, our, and an opportunity for communion. Because in order to awaken that seer within, we need something to see. So we reflect that back to each other. And we, we say that when we put our hands together, namaskara. It's like, I recognize our oneness. And even though our the details and the episodes that we're going through um, may have unique peculiarities, we're all really longing for the same thing. And we might put a different word on it, but that sense of communion with, with, with wholeness, with sacredness. And then the last question was, um, what is the right thing to do? Um, the most important thing is to do good for the one who is standing at your side. Say that one more time. What is the right thing? The, what is the right thing to do? The most important thing to do is to do good for the one who is standing by your side. And sometimes, you know, it may appear like another or it may appear like ourselves. 
So when, you know, we're lost in it and we're in the thick of it, it's helpful to just see like, you know, well, what needs to be done right now? How can I be in service? I know for me, when I, I took a hiatus after running a yoga school for 20 years and the regular classes and managing the teachers and all of that and the back office, and I took respite for myself, which I really needed, um, it just really like brought the issues up more. And it made me realize how much <clears throat> being in that act of service was what filled me up. So we want to be a part of life's exchange and reciprocity. And to just notice also that this, um, this inner impulse of self-revelation, of resonance, and of self-grounding <clears throat> is always going to be showing us where there's that sense of not being enough. And we know this from IFS. It's like, yeah, we have different parts of ourself. There's all these different parts and each part has an agenda. There's the part that wants to prove ourselves worthy to whoever, you know, our teacher or father or mother or sibling, our guru. Um, there's parts of us that then there's the inner manager, which is like the self-regulator. And that's super important to have. But what I found you know, and, and I see that it's all part of the arc of yoga as we're going to develop something to its maximum. And so that that inner manager can almost um, dissociate us from the spontaneity of life. So we have to learn how to keep the manager, you know, sometimes the manager needs to punch out where we can go into spontaneity. And isn't dance wonderful for that? Right. When we go into something like or making love or playing with a child or something where we can let go of, you know, ideas of how we should be. So just watching that as well. And um, it's exhausting, you know, it's exhausting. So I remember it, I think it's in Prabhavananda's book where he says, Yoga's Chitta Vritti Nirota. If yoga stopping the mind just hit me over the head with a brick and let's be done with it, knock me out. And then he goes on to say, you know, you know, the mind is just constantly turning. That is what the mind, that is what the mind is. It's waves of perception. Okay. But it's, it's only fragments. We're only seeing pieces. So that's like the parts of ourself exerting their needs which are true and real but they're coming from a place of not enough when we come from purusha which is the one who lives in the busy, busy city of the body poor to fill and usha with the dawning light our capacity for self-revelation through learning um that has purpose and it might not be something that we can put our finger on. But where we are right now, the one we are with and what is needed in the moment is purpose enough. We, Our mind tends to undermine itself. 
So, you know, just to be aware that our self-regulation, rather than it being, we need to have the capacity for self-analysis, but to realize that logic isn't enough. There's a deeper calling for us that is bigger than we even know. And when we offer ourselves into that process, and it's hard, I mean, talk about like, you know, voluntarily sacrificing your ideas of yourself. It's an extremely raw and vulnerable place to be. And it is called ecstasy. It's not how I imagined it to be, right? Um, yeah, it takes a lot to peel ourselves back. And in the, in the, um, I think it's in the, in the, in the Gita somewhere or in the Mahabharata where it says only the most courageous of souls have that capacity to question who they are, to look within and just to even watch our nature of wanting to find an answer. But oftentimes that answer is discovered in saying, well, I know I'm not that. All right. I, and, and when something comes through us to know that it's moving out of our system and then nature provides the context for like, okay, this is what's needed. I, I have the capacity to do that. And sometimes, you know, it's like a, you know, they say it's only when there's no sense of urgency that we're in a, in a place of confusion. So even when we're working with our trauma network, we often tend to attach urgency to things that aren't urgent. The way that I like to appreciate Yoga Chittavriti Nirodha, it's worth reiterating, is to take care of our inner state. You know, what part of me is talking and, oh, I feel like I have so much to offer and I don't know how to do it and it's so confusing. And it's like, okay, well, the simplest thing, we don't, we don't know how the simplest act of um, fellowship, of affirmation is going to create a ripple effect in somebody's life. Yeah, it's not an easy path. I mean, this is the heroic path in which you're really sacrificing your ideas of self. You're, you're, you're constantly cracking, you're constantly shedding. And so going back to that, hit me over the head with a brick and let's be done with it. You know, learning how to navigate and sometimes the navigation is just allowing that current to carry us instead of fighting the current. Um, eventually, you know, if we're, if we're, how shall I say, if we're trying to over self-regulate these thoughts or even like trying to meditate, trying to meditate already is an issue in itself, Right. Those things, those churnings, they come up with full force. And Prabhavananda says, eventually through sheer exhaustion, you just let go. You just let go. 
So that's what life does. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's gonna, we're gonna spin it, spin our tires. And I love what um, Andy said a couple of sessions ago in the sharing after the sutra class was, you know, it's like where the rubber meets the road that that's where life and life experience is going to teach us. Yeah. So it can be so helpful to have the intergenerational aspect. We're going to see, you know, also with the, the, the microcosm or fractal of astrology, I, I know it's been so helpful for me, like, oh, wow, this is really a point of significance in my life right now, I'm going to feel tension between my, you know, the work I'm doing in the world, my sense of authenticity, my emotional world, how I appear in the work world, my own healing, my own psyche. You know, we can look at these relationships and understand, all right, this is the time and this is the season for this. And if I don't feel like I have to figure it out, I wonder what I might discover on that journey. That we can somehow discover that shraddha, which is the faith that there is something that is guiding us. And just like you'll never, I guess you've heard me say this a bunch of times, you're never going to graduate from this class, but you can't fail. <laughs> no effort is wasted. So then we come back, we can circle back always to that first sutra. What's it the time for? What's it too late for? What's it too soon for? What is it the time for? And the embodiment of consciousness, where consciousness rests on consciousness, not our ideas, um, is Kaivalya, in which Kaivalya literally translated, it means that it is. Tatvamasi. So suddenly it's like, well, what needs to be done? You know, all right, I'm going to do some dishes. Okay, I'm I'm going to, you know, even taking a morning walk can be so wonderful and who am I going to see along the way and 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 offering ourselves into life um then prakritiyapurat nature's going to fill in the gaps for us. All we can do is keep unloading and as we unload we're going to experience those things with intensity. And if we can soften, you know, it's like that's where the yogic teachings and the neuroscience and the resilience practices are so helpful because, you know, we just see that like we have potential, we have infinite potential And the world is going to pull it out of us. So we see that resilience. We can, we can understand it and we can understand that like, all right, just because I'm experiencing this doesn't mean that it's something wrong with me, but that I'm in a place now where I can let that go. And I'm honoring that emotion. I'm honoring that trial 
and that rite of passage, um, trial by fire, by feeling it deeply and then letting it go. It's hard when you're in it though, yeah? It's hard. Yeah. 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 So just watching, um, you know, how the mind obsesses. That's the nature of the mind. And it wraps itself around things. It does that. Um, And then going back into self-care. Self-care is a real imperative. So yoga on the inside is self-care. And yoga on the outside is caring for others. And there's a lot of crying involved sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So first, first sutra of the second pada, kriya. We do, you know, yoga is discharge. We're just, it's like a cathartic practice. And like in any cleanse, um, we're going to go through healing crises. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, you've, been, you've been talking about this other element that I had on my mind. Um, and perhaps there's more, but it, it makes me think of that my time studying with you, I'm realizing that yoga is less the subject <laughs> that we're studying and more of the means for learning how to learn. And I'm wondering, maybe you'd be willing to, yeah, parse that apart with me a little bit more. Yeah, you know, because we have, we're such a unique species with this highly developed neocortical brain. And that's wonderful because we can create through abstract thought, vikalpa, cultures, philosophies, psychologies, um, you know, institutions for higher learning, government systems, all of these things, you know, what other species really does that? We, let me see where I was going with this. Um, Oh yeah, we think we're thinking beings. But really, it's much more simple than that. And and when we look at the neuroscience, we apprehend through our senses. We're feeling beings. And then those, the way that we understand things because of the neuro patterning, and this really works with quantum entanglement, there's infinite stimuli. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oops. Infinite stimuli. But because the way we understand things is through the memories of what we hold, we're kind of looking for what's familiar. And I've cited before that um, that interesting study they did where they had the basketball team. Do you remember that? And you can look it up on video on YouTube. <clears throat> but they had all these participants look at this basketball team and they say, notice how many points the red team scores versus the black team. So you're watching intently and trying to matriculate how many baskets they've, you know, they've scored. 
And then at the end, they say, did you notice anything unique there? And I was like, what? And apparently there was a guy in a gorilla suit who ran across the court waving his arms. And it was completely, I did not even notice it. Yeah. So we're looking, what we're looking for is what we find. And this is when we get so in our head. But when we can conjoin our head with our, you know, and understand that we're, we're actually apprehending through our senses and our sensibility, we can step out of that modality of thinking our ways through life versus using the senses as the gateway to explore. You know, again, the yogi is moved by what's missing. They're, they're looking for that wholeness. And when something's missing, it implies its presence. So it's a very interesting tension that we're, we're working with here. And we're just really, you know, we have to see our lens and it can be very um, <clears throat> discouraging to be like, oh my God, you know, what's my underlying vasana? Like, I'm always yearning, I'm always looking, I'm always feeling like <clears throat> what's missing or I'm, I'm coming up short. And to know that that yearning is actually the space that we're holding for the creation to unfold through us. And because, because we all come in with unique gifts, there's really nobody modeling that for us. So we're learning about, you know, the, the constructs we've come in with, the ideas that we've come in with. And then by learning, we're, you know, by studying, by self, self-analysis, you know, through practice and all these things, it's that sense of neti neti, like, okay, there it is. But like, I don't, and that's part of it. It's not wrong, but there's something bigger here. So that joy of learning is, and then we want to watch out that we're not holding on to the learning because that's another way we can create this artifice of the super spiritual ego. When we're learning is when we feel most alive <clears throat> and most part of creation. Like, oh, I didn't see that before. Oh, I didn't see that before. And certainly when I didn't see the gorilla running across the stage, I was like, really, Bhavani? You didn't see that guy? And then there was this self-deprecation and I could see that and just laugh and, you know, just be like, okay, well, I didn't see, this is a, a place of discovery. Um, I remember this quote, it's very 80s, <laughs> but it's still relevant. The reasons that angels can fly is because they take themselves lightly. So if we look at enlightenment as not having it all together or not knowing, you know, what to do, but this sense of lightening up, lightening up. And we can let go of Rama puts it beautifully, like some of the impressions are heavy and they drag us down and others are light like a feather. Um, so much of yoga is, is like clearing what is congesting or clogging our 
karmashayo, the the reservoir of our impressions, and of kind of like dredging up from the bottom. And then there are certain impressions that we want to hold on to because they're light and they're uplifting, you know? So yeah, it's really um, the process of learning is the process of self-discovering, which is that I am adaptable, I am resilient, and I, you, yoga is not limited to my ideas of what I think it can be. So we can't ever really know yoga because yoga is an infinite subject, but we can learn about ourselves. And really, as much as, you know, we can have a controlled environment on a yoga mat, life is what's going to pull things out of us. We're going to discover we have the courage to lift a bus off of a baby if need be because that's what's needed. Then there's something bigger coming through us. And that, that is an amazing experience, right? And community is such an important part of that because, um, you know, we're all at different phases in our ripening and some of it is chronological. Some of it may be astrological. But in, in sitting with each other, through that reflection, we can be like, okay, yeah, this person had that tension, they got through it. Um, this person felt squeezed at that time, but now I can look at them and how, you know, it's amazing when you look back and it's just like, oh my God, I thought this was going to kill me, but I somehow got through it. And I feel so much, I've lightened up because it was those ideas that were killing me. <clears throat> The truth is my resilience. The truth is that nature is going to pull out of me what is needed if I, if I offer myself into the moment. And that last sutra we did, 218, the purpose of the world is to push us into a corner the school of hard knocks so that we can have that explore the power of transformation and of self-revelation, self-grounding and self-motivation. So that is the truth of who I am and my ideas of either being free or being in bondage are simply that. That is a prokaryptic, a natural cycle of evolution. So in the quantum metaphysical understanding, the nature of spirit is that it wants to manifest itself. And once it manifests itself, manifestation is too confining and it wants to liberate itself. And we can look at that as the, the movement of the planets. And even the planets are not maintaining their exact course. Like the, the Earth, its axis is changing by small increments. 
So it's this great mystery that we're standing in. And isn't it interesting that we, you know, we're the only species that thinks that it should have control, right? And look at the trouble that it's gotten us into. So what is it the time for? Who is the most important one? What is needed right now? And to know that that tension is this dynamic field that we're living in that is pulling pulling parts of ourselves out that we haven't really discovered. That's when the soul speaks through purpose. And it's not, I have found my purpose. The nature of Purusha is dynamic potential. It feels sometimes like you're falling in the rabbit hole, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And for me, what you said about it's it's like this whole unlearning process. <laughs> it's this real, like real re-examination of my ideas the things that I thought about, even, you know, the way I thought about them, you know, the, and then the what I did about it and the courage to let go. Yeah. You know, we, we um, you know, we just have to watch so carefully that we don't go, oh, I did that wrong and I have regrets. And I think I've shared before, I, you know, I was talking to my teacher, Ramajati, and, you know, reviewing back the way that I was teaching. And you just don't know what you don't know. And I feel like I could have helped people in a lot of, in a more effective way if I understood the anatomy more. And I understood that, you know, any body is not like everybody. That's kind of a mantra that came up in my mind the other day. Um, that everybody's unique. So as much as we have a system and a science, it's not always appropriate. And I was like, I, I told her, I feel like I should write these apology letters to people. She was like, oh, Bhavani, you don't need to do that. And this is where, <clears throat> you know, there's kind of a loosening. Um, doesn't mean we should do it again. But this this sense of self-flagellating and we do that to ourselves. So how would you raise a little one? You don't expect them to have it all together. You want to, at the same time, you know, there needs to be, you know, the, the tamas is the ability for retention. But just because you're retaining something doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it right the next time. And that's the evolutionary process. So yeah, it is a lot of unlearning. A lot of the yoga practice is actually the unwinding of being the doer. And um, something that came up to me on the mat the other day was, you know, this, when we loosen the ideas of goal orientation, 
then the intention comes through. And the intention of yoga is sahanagunaktu, to nourish awareness. And so awareness needs something to be aware of. And if we could just keep those channels open instead of getting stuck on what we're aware of and obsessing over that, this is what brings us, loosens the constructs. And then we're, we're like, you know, it's, it's like we live in two worlds. There's the world of what's going on. And then there's the world that's, that we're weaving inside of our own minds. Um, so the, the great master, you know, Christ, who also had to come into human form, lest we be like little children, can we enter into the kingdom of heaven? You know, can we feel our own innocence? Can we feel our own purity? And just because we butzed up or messed something up, it doesn't mar who we are as long as we're like willing to be edified. Life is here to edify us in that process. Yeah. So it is a lot of undoing. And we have to, it's like those things have to come up into the field of our awareness before we can let them go. The impressions are so deep. And we're then, we're not even only dealing with our personal impressions, right? As we explore the strata of chitta, there's the family lore. There's the cultural lore. And then we can drop into this other space, which is the akashic, which is the collective field of consciousness. It's not limited to humanity. There's a larger intelligence that's moving through. Um, <clears throat> it's a place of pure spontaneity. So if you recall in the last sutra of the first pada on samadhi, on reclaiming our wholeness, it's, um, um, let's see, let's see. Um, samskara pratipandini. Nope. That's not the one, but the one before I just chanted is where we even loosen that sense of the inner manager and the self-regulation. Now you can't loosen it until you get a grip on it. So you do have to develop self-regulation, but then eventually you need to let that go because it's just going to create another web around you rather than being in the spontaneity of life. You can't fail. You can't fail because you're constantly learning. And such a wonderful practice is this practice of gratitude. You know, we're in such a process of building up. So, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for, right? When we just take that moment, especially when our nervous system starts to oscillate and upregulate, is just to be like, oh, wow, look where I am, you know? I've got air to breathe. Even the most simple things can be a self-grounding process. Yoga is so great because it's never what we think it is, you know? It's just that. That it is. Kaivalya. And there's freedom in that. Thank you so much for your time 
and attention today. I'm going to save our last two questions for the next time because this was a lot and so helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, In closing, life is intense. Those of us who are drawn to yoga have an intense, something driving us, you know, that intensity. So can we hold that intensity with tenderness? It's really a beautiful, beautiful meditation for us, a beautiful living meditation. Yeah. So much love. Thank you. Namaskara. Namaskara. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. For more information about Bhavani Maki and her online and in-person teachings, including the Yoga Sutra Wisdom School, online Patanjali Yoga Sutra Mentorship, and her continuing classes and trainings, please visit www.bhavanimaki.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening. Jalaruha Mitra Jashatru Netram Kalusha Pai